Some short time ago, as a war raged between nations, a young man, one that was too young to be enlisted and too small to be accepted into the army, he stood tending his family's uh, farm and their livestock. Since he was the youngest of his family and all of his other brothers had been sent off to war and had been enlisted in the army, this man's responsibilities had slowly increased into jobs that he wasn't as familiar with anymore. As the sun shone down on him on one particularly very warm afternoon, he chuckled to himself about the joke his father had told him last night at the dinner table. His father had said, one day you'll soon be able to join your brothers at war as soon as you graduate from the infant tree. I wasn't sure if I'd get last of that or not. Uh, after tending to the sheep and checking on the growth of the wheat and the summer fruits that they had in their farmland, the young man checked in with his father and grabbed the daily rations, a few loaves of bread and some roasted grain. As the invading army had pushed into their country, it became the responsibility of local farmers to supply the food and the rations to this uh, army that was trying to defend the invasion. As he arrived to drop off the rations and entertain the soldiers with some guitar playing and a few songs, he was met with the familiar sight of an enemy coming out to the neutral zone to taunt the allied forces. Uh, it confused the young man. It seemed no one was willing to oppose this enemy, and yet it had been, they had been at war for 40 days, and there had been no sign of hope at all. As he grabbed his flask and went off to collect some water for the soldiers, he noticed that there were some strangely polished and smooth stones lying in the river. When he returned to the camp, he approached the king and asked him, he said, what is going to be done? What's the reward? for the dude that goes out and kills this evil man that is taunting us. And despite his older brother's attempts to dissuade him, the young man set off and he said, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to get him. The king, who attempted to protect the young man with his finest garb and his finest armor and his finest weapons, well, none of it fit because the young man was too small and it didn't work for him to be able to even move in it. The young man returned to the stream where he had fetched water for the army and he grabbed five of the smoothest and polished stones that he had seen earlier when he went to the stream. And upon returning, David said to the Philistine, he said, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands." As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine. With sling and stone, without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off the head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. God is mighty. This next story for you is about a young girl named Antoinette. Antoinette was this charming, beautiful little girl. 
She grew up in a relatively peaceful neighborhood. Uh, she lived at the bottom of this beautiful hill that every morning and evening as the sun was rising or falling, the sun crested this hill and reflected off the sides of it in this beautiful orange and purple fashion. Um, only the occasional earthquake or minor flooding would ever disturb her living. Her only inkling in life was to care for her family, her and her 6,207,322 brothers and sisters. And you see Antoinette was an aunt, thus the name Antoinette. Um, some fun facts for you about Antoinette's family. Her great-grandmother, Antonelle, lived to be 33 years old. Her brother, Anthony, Anthony, once stole half a deck of cards from a cute couple that were sharing their food on a picnic, and he bragged that it weighed 5,000 times his body weight and that he was the strongest ant in the world. Her third cousin, twice removed from South America, um, Auntie, once helped create a house that was 5,955 kilometers long with the help of some other neighboring colonies. And Antoinette and all of her family listen through vibrations and communicate by releasing pheromones to each other. God is mighty. Last story for you. There was once a young boy, about 11 years old, after a grueling year of grade six, which in and of itself feels like a bit of an oxymoron, um, the summer had begun. What was sure to be a summer of video games, Fortnite, basketball at the park, and family vacations changed when an invitation from a close friend to come to a summer Bible camp arrived in the mail. Ryder had heard about, his, about Jesus from his friend Evan, and, you know, despite Ryder's parents' resistance to let Evan, or excuse me, to let Ryder go to a Bible camp, Evan was able to convince them to let Ryder come, mostly saying that all of the games were fun and there was this crazy person out at camp that made all the games really ridiculous and aggressive. Uh, Evan and Ryder got placed in the same cabin with a brand new cabin leader who they had never met before, and quickly they fell in love with their deranged, weird cabin leader, and in turn, their cabin leader fell in love with them. They quickly adopted new nicknames. Ryder, because of his big, soft, squishy stature and also his amazing heart, was named Yogi. And Evan, his best friend and his sidekick, was named Boo Boo. They were attending during the hottest week of the summer. There wasn't a day below 32 degrees Celsius. And over the week, Ryder, for the first time in his life, heard stories about a man called Jesus. He heard about how much Jesus loved him and learned about both his birth and his death. And strangely to Ryder, he learned that Jesus had died for him on a cross, on a T-shaped piece of wood, even though he had never met the guy. He sought out his cabin leader to ask a few questions about it, because he didn't know all of the information. Now, keep in mind, Ryder was terrified, because if his parents ever found out that he was learning about Jesus or talking about Jesus, he would surely be punished and never get sent back to camp. So he asked his cabin leader if all the stories were true, and if there was any way that he could enter heaven. And his cabin leader, seeing how distraught Ryder was, took him into the dining hall after hours to make him some hot chocolate, something that kids were not allowed to do. They were not allowed in the dining hall after hours. Also, the hot chocolate didn't make much sense since it was 30 degrees outside, but his cabin leader was addicted to coffee, and he called it his Jesus juice, since Jesus gives you energy, so... Uh, the cabin leader talked to Ryder about how you could ask Jesus into your heart and you would be saved. Ryder, in this moment, broke down crying from the battle between wanting to go to heaven and have a relationship with Jesus, but also the fear of keeping this information away from his parents. 
His cabin leader assured him that no matter his decision at this moment, God would be with him always, and that the cabin leader would continue to pray for him, whatever choice he made. At that moment, Ryder asked his cabin leader if he could accept Jesus into his heart, and if the cabin leader could pray for him right then and there. As the 11-year-old Ryder uttered his acceptance of Jesus into his heart, the loudest and brightest flash of lightning and roar of thunder screamed throughout the sky, followed by a torrential downpour of rain the first in two weeks. God is mighty. I tell you these three stories not only to proclaim the good news, but also the reason for our good news. All of these three stories are all true, and they're all examples of God's brilliance, majesty, and his power. The last story I told you was my personal experience at camp. I was the crazy, weird, deranged cabin leader that sat in the dining hall after hours and gave hot chocolate to an 11-year-old boy on a 30-degree day. Not a great choice. Even though I never saw Yogi again, and I'm fairly certain that his parents found out he had become a Christian and had banned him from ever coming back to a Bible camp, I can still declare that God is mighty. A lot of times when people ask me, why do I believe in Jesus? That's the story I tell them about how an 11-year-old changed my life and influenced me in such a powerful way. When we envision a mighty God, we have images of this powerful, daunting figure looming over the surface of the earth. And in that image, I uh, think of Galactus, which is a Marvel evil character that eats planets. That's what I envision. Um, We fabricate this muscular celestial figure donned in royal garb with long flowing locks of hair gracefully tickling their strapping jawline. That's Thor. And then we personify a deep, masculine, booming voice that commands attention, respect, and fear. And that's Darth Vader, of course. The lesson today is not to say that those depictions or figures of God are not mighty. It's also not to say that God won't appear to us in that manner. If God appeared to us as Darth Vader, that would be incredible. But what we know from the Bible and from different stories, specifically ones like Exodus 33, is that God is so powerful that Moses would have surely died even if he just saw God's face. We know that God can demonstrate his power through wonderful miracles like the bull competition that Elijah had against, where God and Baal were fighting against one another and Elijah had all the worshipers of Baal pour jars of water on these pieces of wood and God still lit them on fire. We found that in 1 Kings 18. In Judges 16, we see Samson tear down a temple after having all of his strength removed. In Matthew 27, we also see God's mighty power after Jesus dies on the cross. The events that follow are a monstrous earthquake, the tearing of this massive temple veil, and hundreds of holy men and women being risen from the dead and re-walking on the earth. Hokey lick, that's incredible. But yet, God's most powerful demonstration of his might is the most innocent sending of a child to us. And we read the following. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that had happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Small, peaceful, still developing coarse and fine motor skills, but yet mighty. The unlikeliest hero, as Greg and Ashland led us in earlier. Uh, the last two years, we've become all too familiar about the power of small objects. Isn't it amazing how a microscopic virus can completely change the scope of two years of our life and change everything we thought we knew and loved? In the same way, isn't it amazing how a small child changed the entire course of humanity, religion, and our eternity? Um, an ant is tiny, but it's also a powerful demonstration of what God's might looks like. And let me say this, maybe I'm biased. I'm a teacher, so I'm definitely biased. Kids are awesome. I love them. Um, this is not to take anything away from Roxanne and Sue this morning. I had written this before, I promise. Um, but how amazing was it last week to watch Nathan's kids come up and light these candles and read to us a story and talk to us about the hope that Jesus has for us. That is amazing and cool. Um, I think it's amazing when kids are doing these little shaker things while we're do singing songs of worship. I personally don't love worship. That's not my main form of praising God, but that gets me excited. Jesus, at the age of 12, younger than David, <laughs> younger than Antoinette's great-great-grandmother, and about the same age as Ryder at camp, was teaching leaders of the law about his father in the temple at 12 years old. The whole, this whole week as I had written this, the only thing I could envision was Nathan's son Levi like correcting me and being like, actually, this is how it went. I think that would be amazing. I want to encourage and challenge you to take a few time, few things to reflect on. That was what I meant to say. This week, uh, and open your eyes to some of the amazing things that are happening. Children, youth, and young adults are doing some amazing things in the world around us, despite what the media might try to show us. Listen to kids' curiosity, their attention to detail, the things that they pick out as you tell them the story of Jesus being born. I also want you to appreciate the miracles happening around you, both big and small. Sort of the theme of this is that God is both mighty in a big way, God is also mighty in tiny, un unpredictable ways. Um, last week, after I had finished two consecutive days of subbing, teaching Biology 30, oh, my heart gets so happy teaching that, at a local high school, one of, the, one of the students asked if I would be back for a third day. I told them no, that I was booked elsewhere, unfortunately, and their response was, but we don't want you to leave. And for me, this year has been not a great year being on the sub list. I really dislike having these sort of surface level relationships with students. That was something that I desperately needed, the appreciation and respect, and for me, that was a small miracle. That was the energy that I needed to push through the rest of this week, go to a different school and teach 60 to 90 different children. Uh, for Kaylee and I, our neighbors who recently immigrated from China have been a tremendous blessing to us, a bigger miracle. Um, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that oftentimes we'll let our golden retriever out in the backyard and our neighbors will take him and have him in their house and play with him and feed him snacks and all this sort of stuff. So to respond and also be good neighbors to our uh, recently immigrated neighbors, we went over the other day to spread some Christmas Canadian cheer to them. So it's their first winter in Canada, which sucks to be them. 
So Kaylee and I brought over some hot chocolate. We brought over an advent calendar, some toques, gloves, mitts, balaclavas, everything that they might need to stay warm. And the dad, who received the gift and also speaks very, very broken English, uh, reached down. He had a pile of garbage sitting beside his step. And it was covered in snow, and it just looked terrible. And I wanted to say something, but I didn't. He reached down to the pile of garbage, and he pulled out a three-foot-long deer bone <laughs> with meat on it and said, here, this is for you and your dog. I don't know where he got it from, but he had a deer bone by his, his step. That's a bigger miracle. That's one that's a little bit easier to see. Jesus was born in a manger as a small baby. And the question that I have for you is, who would have thought that God sending the most frail, fragile, and peaceful version of himself would be the most grandiose demonstration of how mighty and powerful he is. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you so much. We thank you that this season is all dedicated and surrounding you giving us the greatest gift that we could ever receive, which is your son. We thank you for making that sacrifice, and we thank you for also constantly and persistently reminding us and demonstrating for us how mighty, how powerful you are, both in terms of stories like David destroying a giant in terms of insects and creations as small as ants and viruses that have this tremendous power to shape our world, and also for the ultimate demonstration of sending your son Jesus for us, eventually to die for us on the cross. We love you so much, God. You are an amazing, powerful God. Bless us this Sunday, and thank you so much for all these amazing